Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This week on Londonist Out Loud, I'm going to meet a man who studied economics, worked in the city, but now sets puzzles for a living. In respect of which, warm greetings to Tim, who sends me my favourite puzzle for some time. What do you get if you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? It's Saturday the 23rd of May 2015. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe and this is Londonist Out Loud. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a stone throw from your front. We're going to start with a puzzle. We are 14 floors up looking out over London. With me is Tom Williams. He's the director of A Door in a Wall. Let's start by trying to guess where we are. I'm going to hand you over to Tom, and uh, he's going to describe what we can see out of the window. Where are we? So we're looking north. Uh, We're somewhere uh, on the east side of town. We can see the Olympic Park from where we are. All around us is uh, a landmark development of uh, the 1950s. Over to our west, we've got the uh, the towers of the City of London, and we can see see all the new development around Stratford as well. To our east, uh, another landmark, the uh, Balfron Tower. From which we have broadcast in the past. For this interview, I got off at All Saints on the DLR and progressed past the Crisp Street Idea Store, which means we are? In Crisp Street Market. Uh, well, not in fact in Crisp Street no. Market. We've got a bird's eye view. We do. Uh, we're up on uh, in uh, Fitzgerald House, uh, casting our, our bird's eye view over Crisp Street and the uh, surrounding area. Now, I've been for this show to some salubrious establishments, and this ain't one of them. It looks to me like a council flat, but in a pretty poor state of repair. Uh, what are we doing here? Uh, well, uh, this is one of the locations that we're using for uh, our latest mystery adventure, which is uh, taking place around this area all this month. We've been working with the Housing Association, Poplar Harker, who very 
kindly uh, set us up with a few interesting locations in and around their uh, sphere of influence here in Poplar. Have I just offended the housing association in question? Possibly, but uh, no, they, they, uh, they, they deliberately gave us a bit of a fixer-upper. This is one that has clearly been well lived in, let's put it that way. And what, what is the reason for using a location such as this? Well, the area is very much a, a subject of invitation. It's not an area that, uh, that I knew particularly well before I came here. Um, but the, uh, the guys at Poplar Harker are always keen to uh, publicise the area, to get new people to come here and show off the things that are here. And, you know, we've been delighted with, uh, with what we've been able to do. Um, so they've given us access to the, all these fantastic locations. And it's been a real pleasure coming to an area of East London that, uh, that I don't know much about and um, other, showing it to other people that don't know much about it. Uh, well, <laughs> that, uh, that spirit of not knowing too much pervades my uh, interviewing approach today. Uh, you've been highly recommended, I should say. Adore in the Wall has been commended by one of the Londonist writers, Beth Parnell Hopkinson, who put me on to you. And she said, yeah, these guys are doing great stuff. Stuff and you, you need to talk to them. What have you been doing that's impressed us? Well, uh, it's, uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, it's always hard to explain what we do. Uh, it's always a mishmash of murder mystery, of treasure hunts, of adventure, but always keeping that in the real world. Uh, we always use real London locations uh, to show people either places they, they do know in a new way or introduce them to uh, places that they don't maybe don't know so well. We write... Uh, murder mystery stories normally or, or other kinds of stories and then we find locations interesting places to take people around certain areas which we then populate with with clues with actors with uh, secrets and people follow these clues around find these actors uncover these secrets and try and piece together the um the bizarre twists and turns of our plots so there's a bit of competition in there but largely it's um it's a it's a fun adventure for uh, people to take part in of an evening or a weekend afternoon So uh, we've just come into uh, the offices of Older and Older, uh, which is uh, our venue for uh, the life and death of Paul Moraine. We've done a lot of set design work on this, we're very pleased with it. It's a 1950s-styled solicitor's office. We've got Festival of Britain posters on the walls. We've got wood panelling, we've got metal filing cabinets, low desks and uh, Danish-style seating all around. This is sort of the main space that, that players come into and what they experience when they, they arrive in our game in, around Crisp Street. Yeah, we really wanted to sort of set the scene a little bit, draw on that uh, 50s heritage and sort of provide an interesting place for people to explore and, and poke around. We don't mind people sort of rifling through the, uh, the, the, the cabinets and, and the books that we've got piled everywhere here uh, for people to do. In fact, there's a whole uh, challenge based around rifling through some of the cabinets, uh, which is, uh, is good fun. And again, the sort of meeting actors here. We have a, a, an actor that sort of inhabits this space and, and some of the other spaces that we've, we've decked out. We've got everything from a secretive military basement, uh, meditation room, and uh, a banker boardroom that people enter at various times and, and explore and interact with characters in those spaces. So obviously we have a, a variety of interactions in this game, but we've got a whole host of things we've done in the past as well. We've, got, we've had backstreet surgeries where you're rooting around inside uh, bodies. We've had mini goals who take it far, far too seriously. Fortune tellers, scoutmasters, rickshaw drivers. These are all sorts of the kind of characters that we, that we uh, force people to uh, interact with and uh, have adventures alongside. 
Sounds like a lot of fun. There's clearly a taste and appetite for this sort of thing. One thinks of one or two of the other. Big companies doing uh, variations on a similar kind of idea, surprises and secrets and so forth. I want to ask you about the practicalities of doing that because when mm. one thinks of what's been going on in the last couple of years, they have been beset by problems of various sorts. It's interesting to know how you go about doing this. But on one hand, it sounds a little bit like the sort of thing that I quite enjoyed doing as a kid, um, setting up for games and stuff like this. Is this an extended childhood going on here? I think it is and it isn't in that it taps into um, the, a sense of play and a, a sense of adventure and to role playing especially. But I also think it's a little more sophisticated than that. We always try and pitch what we're doing as a game rather than theatre. And, um, you know, gaming is something that everybody does these days. And it's a difficult game. We're not in the business of making sort of things you can sort of solve in five minutes. The stories we write and the, the mysteries we try and pursue are designed to be complex and intricate and so there should be a real satisfaction when people get it right when they crack that code when they decipher that puzzle and make that deduction that's important to us that it is it is uh it is complex and it is pitched at an adult level so it's an intellectual challenge as well is this a prizes for everyone type setup though or are there winners and losers is there one person who figures it out and then the game's over or how does it work everybody has a go Everybody writes down what they find, and then somebody will have done the best job at, at that, and uh, and they win a prize. The prizes are often fairly nominal token things. Um, you know, we spend our budget on on the experiences that everyone gets to enjoy. It's about that satisfaction of yes, we cracked it. Yes, we did the best, and we got something to take home and put on our mantelpiece to show that we did that. There's an element of competition, and and some people get really into that, but primarily it's about uh, it's about the journey that people go on. What about your journey? The first thing that I have on an instinctual level here, and this might be highly subjective, is I I can only imagine there must be times when you have been given a new place, such as the one we're in now, and you're able to just absorb it. What's your journey as you, for example, arrive at a new location, a new place that you've been lent? Well, I think it's about looking at things with uh, a set of fresh eyes. And I'm not going to sort of pretend that I've got somehow got sort of magic eyes that I can see things that other people can't. But You know we only booked you because of your magic eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do a test. Uh, the way we go about uh, sort of our, our location scouting, once we've got a, a, a main venue source, that's always usually the hardest uh, challenge in what we do. Sourcing main venue, um, and then we look for interesting places uh, around that, that venue. Typically for a game, we might look for sort of maybe 20 other locations to use, and it's key to have variety. The idea being that you'll send people down the street and they won't know exactly what they're looking for the 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 next clue the next part of the adventure could sort of be behind any as our name suggests door in a wall you're looking for things you can make a puzzle out of you know pieces of uh sort of lettering or numbers or patterns um or just something distinctive something you walk down the street and go that's unusual i wonder why that's there but conversely you can also use things that are very very conventional and sort of subvert them in some way this, this sounds like the same set of instincts that drive a lot of people who are interested in Secret London and people who uh, have become tour guides as well and they, they pick up on these little unusual things and they can't rest until they know the story behind that and what, what it means and how it adds into the whole. I wonder if is there a concrete example that you could give us maybe from a previous escapade? Certainly. Yeah, so there's actually something we're doing in, uh, in, in this game we're doing at the moment that um, has worked really well for us. Again, just something seen by chance, a piece of art, a sculpture, in uh, in a small park near here and just the way it was aligned uh, it used glass so that you could stand on one side of it and see through and see things through the other side 
And that just enables you to construct a really nice sort of perspective puzzle by getting people to stand in a certain place and see something through something else, which would highlight an object that they then had to go and find as their next location. It's not particularly complicated. Uh, It doesn't really require doing anything too intrusive, but that use of something that was there all along and getting people... Something, again, it could be something that people walk past every single day and they wouldn't have thought of... um, what it could mean or, or what it might uh, lead them on to. Oh, that's interesting. That, that actually answers a question that was bubbling up that I, I hadn't quite fully formulated. But you know those uh, films from the 60s where there's some sort of a race or a chase going on mm. and to confound those behind them, the people up ahead turn the uh, direction arrows at the side of the road round to point in the other direction. It occurs to me that one of the cornerstones of the British character is a, uh, a determination to slightly tinker at the edges of somebody else's grand plan and I could well imagine if you've got clues scattered all around an area people would take great delight in uh, <laughs> adjusting them for their merriment well yeah I won't pretend it never happens um, but thankfully it is quite rare but all the same there's a lot of different moving parts that you seem to be talking about and it must be easy for the general public to get involved even by accident and to throw things completely off kilter even without your knowing it Oh, of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a liability you accept, but over the years we've got better and better at knowing what's likely to go wrong and what isn't. Obviously, when you, uh, you do everything you can to make sure that things, things won't go missing, i.e. You know, either you secure things or you, you have things in places where you've got the proper permissions to put them uh, so that uh, they're, they're not going to go anywhere and, and you've got people keeping an eye on them. And we also have a crew in the field at all times just looping, circulating, making sure that everything we have out there is doing what it's supposed to do and is in the right place and gets uh, set up properly and taken down properly. You can never completely eliminate that risk. It's an element of just having to accept that if you're going to have your clues out there in the real world. Um, but it's, it's a risk we take. How many of these have you done? I was just counting through them the other day uh, because I had to stop and think about it. Of these sorts of public events, I think this is our 10th, the one we're doing at the moment. And then we've done other sort of private things as well in between those. So, yeah, and, and we've gradually sort of been, been iterating and, and, and building out what we do so that we, we learn things from every event. We always try and do a few new things, try and push it in, a, in some different directions and obviously change the locations we use. So gradually we get better and better at what we do, hopefully. I know you said you were avoiding theatre, which that's an interesting choice to make, really. It seems like that's one of the big decisions you, you've, you've got to make, isn't it? Maybe we could talk more about that. Are there fashions in this kind of thing? Do you find yourself looking maybe at competition or maybe at just what's going on generally in, in town or in cities, plural? Are there fashions that you've got to keep one step ahead of? How does that stuff work? Um, there might be. Uh, if there are, I don't think we pay much attention to them. Now, does that mean you're not going out and sampling the puzzle craft of other organisations? Well, we certainly do. We certainly do. But we're trying to, I guess, in those instances, we're more interested in what people are doing on a sort of micro level. I sort of individual puzzles and things, and uh, you're always interested in, in seeing the... Uh, uh, the moving parts of other people's uh, machinery, but in terms of the the sort of theming and the, the 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 bigger picture, I think we we very much like to go in our own direction, and we rely on the sort of feedback of of our audience. We're very rigorous about collecting feedback about what people like, what people don't like, and we're always trying to improve what we do. But again, it's from a very sort of iterative place, sort of starting with what we have and seeing, well, how can we make it better, or how can we try to put a new spin on it. Um, that's not really in an essence to ever try and capture a trend or not consciously anyway 
how deeply involved do you get with an area? Are you just passing through? To an extent, we are always just passing through because we're always... Um, uh, we we never root ourselves in one place. You know, we're doing our, our, our event round here in in Poplar temporarily, and you know, we hope to look to do another event in the autumn, and that'll be somewhere completely different. So I can't pretend that we're um, uh, we're hugely deeply rooted. But I think it, our events recognise that yes, everyone is is just passing through. And how do you create a real, a really memorable, powerful experience for people so that even if they are just passing through, they remember it. And if they remember it, they're more likely to come back. Certainly what we're trying to do here in Poplar is sort of give people a fun adventure in a place they might not know so well and show them what it has to offer. And we look, we look to do that in all the, um, the areas that, that we use. Uh, and some of them are more well-known than others. Our last event uh, was all around um, London Bridge. And, you know, you, obviously, uh, you know, when you're running past Tower Bridge and, and stuff like that, uh, it's sort of, that's very familiar territory for a lot of people. But even so, again, you, you can have fun with those sorts of things, again, in, in looking at them in a new way, even if you've seen them before. I think I need a, a more concrete example. Maybe we could use yeah. that previous uh, game. But I think I need to understand in a little bit more detail how this works. So, uh, so structurally, people turn up. They are introduced to the, the the little world we've created. They're always sort of fairly sort of silly, outlandish stories. Um, murder mysteries are our stock in trade. They're a, a, a nice format that everyone's kind of familiar with. You've got to squeeze these things into an evening. So, so something very weirdly comforting about murder, isn't it? <laughs> it, what, what is that? Why do we consume so much murder as uh, comforting entertainment? I think it's just it creates such a great setup for a story. Um, the who done it is just sort of endlessly fascinating, and, and murder, just by its very nature, gives you a, a sort of a, a victim who can't talk. And this in, an inherent sense of mystery of like, you know, if only we could have seen through their eyes, we'd know what had happened. But we don't. We have to sort of build it up from everything else that we know around it. And murder mystery is so helpful just because it gives you this, this natural framework to kind of slot a story into. You don't have to get over a hurdle of trying to explain too much about what's going on. Because as soon as you tell people, this person's died, here are some suspects find out who done it people instantly know what kind of world they're in what kind of territory they're exploring and there's a finite endpoint as well having cracked this particular question clearly okay so you've gathered together here's the premise yes what's next what's next is two hours of uh, or there thereabouts depending on the uh, the event of uh, running around finding clues uh, we normally sort of set up clues in sort of short trails of sort of three or four locations and maybe there'll be sort of six or so of those little trails uh, and so people are exploring they're kind of on their own uh, agenda so they choose where they go we sort of say here are all your options you've got two hours explore as many of them as you can you presumably give them an idea of which direction to go in or something absolutely we, right. give, them some le- we give them some leads to start so we say these are the, the start of these trails you can go and follow them in any order find as many clues as you can meet as many characters as you can which they'll encounter along the way and the more they find uh, the more pieces of the story they get and obviously the more pieces of story they get the better their conclusion at the end is going to be after that period they will come back to the, uh, the where they started out furiously scribble down their answers and we uh, collect them in and see who's done the best job of that I'm trying to work out what the contents of your head how you see yourself as well maybe as somebody entertaining others or is there a sort of um, a brain in a jar here enjoying its own imagination Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Or are you quite enjoying uh, toying with people? Or, you know, what's the process? Uh, I think there's a little bit of both those things. There's, 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 there is an inevitable entertainment value in in sort of being that that puppet master and pulling the strings and knowing what's going on behind the scenes. I think it's it's fun being on both sides of the screen. But the premise for us is creating something that is that is is fun and exciting for um, the people doing it. Um, it's got to be otherwise they don't come back. Creating something that's that's unexpected, so you kind of get the pleasure of setting things up, which then people run into as they explore. And that's very satisfying, knowing that people are uh, suddenly uh, stumbling into this world you've created and, and enjoying the surprises and the um, the action that you've you've set up. Well, yeah, because I can see from the way you're talking about it that you are getting something. You're not a clinical entrepreneur who's spotted a niche here. Clearly, there's entrepreneurialism going on, but there's also obviously a satisfaction on, on your part in uh, something to do with this. What about on the on the flip side, though? What are the things that uh, are the real flies in the ointment for you? Well, we've already touched on one of them in, in the sort of the risks of not knowing how sort of vulnerable your, your clues are out there in the real world. But we, as I say, we've got better and better at that. Logistically, it's really complicated. I mean, again, we, we, we've got better and better at it. We've got a lot of processes and, and, and things that we do now that help us keep everything safe and, and robust and uh, sensible and that we know is going to work. But yeah, you, you, there's a lot of moving parts for these things. There's a lot of different... Uh, you've got to have a story that holds together. Um, you've got to have all the, the clues kind of conveying that story and working together and making sense so that when somebody does it, they can actually solve the mystery and it, well, that all works. Um, you've got to have uh, a lot of different people, cast, crew. Everyone's got to be at certain places at certain times. I mean, that's, that's the same as theatre. Um, but you're kind of it's writ large almost because you're not just doing it in a theater you're doing it over you know uh, streets uh, all around one area and on that point with different attendees each time you run the event presumably that must introduce an element of variation i've got crowd a on the monday night containing uh, let's say an unusually introverted bunch who handle things in one way crowd b on the tuesday is much more out there and they process things in an entirely different way what's the elasticity of the experience how much can you kind of stay in control and how much is it shaped by the people who turn up Naturally, you know, we, we're meeting our audience halfway. It is an interactive uh, experience. It's designed as a game and, and games are interactive. And you want to give people 
agency and uh, have them decide what what they want to do obviously we sort of create the framework that people move in and you know uh, people can go different ways with it but ultimately they're still trying to follow the same paths and come to the same conclusions one thing that does give us a great deal of elasticity is um, is the actor interactions that we use and when players interact with characters that's largely improvised it's not scripted so that players who are really up for it and want to role play and want to get involved the actors can really dial it up and and get them involved and pick on people and make it more spontaneous if people are more reserved they're a bit shy they're not so into that which not everyone is that's fine they again they can just they can go through the uh, the mo- uh, the the interaction um hit the key points do some entertaining bits that are just largely self-propelled and send the team on their way and, and those people can have the experience that they want to have as well but it's always surprising how how into it people do get i'm always kind of impressed i always think oh well you know we've got to cater for people who maybe aren't into that so much but by and large people really do want to get involved it's really encouraging actually when, once you give people a platform or sort of open them open a door for them or present them with a character who they they kind of get the gist of people are very willing to step into that space and become part of it themselves tell me about the first time you did something like this i don't know if you would have been doing it professionally at that point or not uh well adorna wall grew out of um something we just did for friends really initially and the first few things we've done along these lines really kind of reflected that it was just a load of friends trying to do something answering a lot of finishing a lot of sentences that began wouldn't it be cool if and we it was huge it was sprawling i think we sort of had clues around seven areas of london it was all over central london i mean in a way it was much bigger than what we're doing at the moment it was sort of lasted all day on a saturday and we had all kinds of things set up uh and half of them broke and nobody got around even like half the all of the locations and so, so nobody had even close to the right answer for the, the the stories and things but ultimately people still had a great time i thought well you know that was that was a, that was a laugh i mean it was a load of work it was a laugh let's do it again um we did a few more along those lines again just iterating getting it getting the format better and better every single time and sort of you know, by the time we'd done uh sort of four or five of them it had really kind of snowballed beyond let's do something for friends and then it was friends of friends and friends of 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 friends and uh, i thought well you know we've got to charge a bit more money to to cover the costs and uh, get a bit more serious with it and you know people are coming and they expect something good so let's make it good and do it properly well it sounds like there's a watershed moment in there then somewhere where there must have been a point when you, you you've the, for the first time said okay we need to charge some money for this how did that moment go well, that was uh, even that first event that I've described. We we asked people for just a, a little bit of money. I think I think it was like five pounds or something each, just to sort of cover the the costs. I mean, we, were, we weren't paying anybody to be in it. I was just literally to cover the costs of like I don't know, printing stuff out and and buying some props and stuff like that. Uh, so you you never had the the awkward moment of having to say to your chums, uh, <laughs> you know, cough up now. It was free last time, but uh, no more for you. Well, it's it, it's been, it's been a ratchet. Sort of gradually, we kept doing that. Um, we wanted to do more we got more ambitious so we we kept on bumping up that contribution from people by the time of our event shakes on a plane which in many ways was a kind of a real landmark event for us (laughs) it makes me extremely nervous from the title uh (laughs) it was it's it's very literal it was a murder mystery story about uh, a sheikh who died on a plane okay Um, i'm I'm relieved immediately (laughs) (laughs) 
I was really not sure where that was going. Let's turn our gaze outwards. We're going to take a word from our sponsor, audible.co.uk. You can get a free book from uh, Audible. All you need to do is go to audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist and click through and uh, claim your freebies if you're not yet trying Audible. Then a free 30-day trial will cost you nothing. We'll get you your free book. It'll keep us on the air. What's not to like? Londonist Out Loud is available free as a stream at londonist.com or a weekly download via iTunes. Hit us up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud, tweet at Londonist Sound, and check out images of our guests via the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm in Quentin Wolf with me, Tom Williams, who is the director of A Door in a Wall, which is, uh, as you'll have gathered by now, a, a mysteries project. Is that a fair description? Sort of. We're a lot of things. Um, I like to think of us as uh, as, as games makers. Uh, we make games. We make adventures. Um, they they happen to be mysteries as well. So it's, that's not a, not a totally inaccurate. Oh, it's too restrictive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're looking down on uh, as we mentioned before, Crisp Street Market. Um, you mentioned uh, that this area experienced quite a lot of investment and development in the fifties. You can certainly see swathes of distinct architecture as you look out here masonettes over the rows of shops just there as you go further back i'm guessing they might be more sort of 60s or 70s construction that sort of period some of the much taller blocks i guess they'd be about 10 stories a piece construction carries on around us and there's some exciting tower blocks in brown and bright orange and gold over there behind the church isn't that interesting how the church kind of vanishes essentially in front of those as somebody who's been working in this area for a little while now on the latest experience uh, what can you tell us that you've learned about this area well, we tried really hard to uh, introduce a lot of, uh, of local history, of local knowledge um, into the game that we're doing, along with the sort of more, more fanciful, um, sillier elements that we always kind of uh, cover everything in. But the, the really interesting things about this area, I think, sort of stem from, as you mentioned, it's, it's history in the, in the 50s. Poplar was the site of the architecture exhibition of the Festival of Britain in 1951. Obviously, the, most of it in, in London anyway sort of happened down on the South Bank, but um, in uh, in the East End here, they, they showcased the architecture. And that was largely, obviously, 1951. A lot of the East End was rubble, and they were trying to build homes of the future. This was really where they wanted to showcase what architecture could be for the rest of the, the, the 20th century. And sort of, so a lot of the buildings that we're looking at at the moment down around Crisp Street Market, it's a fantastic clock tower in the market, which also sort of stems from that development. And, uh, does it really? Doesn't, it doesn't look old enough, does it? So, uh, well, no. I mean, it, obviously, it was designed to be forward-looking of its time. So I guess you probably would look at it and think it was, it was built later. But um, certainly these buildings all on the north side and the, the clock tower and so, several of the other buildings around here on the Lansbury estate, named for uh, George Lansbury, popular MP, local hero in many regards, and father of Angela Lansbury, to tie it back to mysteries. But 1951, yeah, huge year for here. The, the buildings are listed. Uh, and it was very exciting. It was a very optimistic time. People were were looking to kind of move on and try and imagine a, a better place to live, a better way to live. And it's kind of surprising that it, not that many people know about it. Um, it wasn't, I'd say it actually probably wasn't the most successful bit of the Festival of Britain. Not that many people actually came and saw it. And critically, it wasn't that well received either. I think a lot of these sort of contemporary architects at the time were sort of looked down on it and thought it was kind of 
what they were trying to do was a bit old-fashioned even when they brought it out um, they were trying to be sort of very modernist but um, maybe the, the, the modern modernism had already peaked I don't know I'm, I'm not an architect critic myself but uh, regurgitating what I've read about it but um, I thought that sense of optimism and the sort of desire to to do things in a better way was something we wanted to incorporate into our, our story uh, which sort of fe- very much features a, a central character who who tries and doesn't always succeed but uh, always tries tries to uh, make the world a better place. It suddenly occurred to me, I was uh, thinking what an enormous jump it is to get from the two and three story terraces that we're seeing below us to the brutalist towers in the space of a decade. That's that's a big leap in, in terms of ideology as much as anything else. But it occurred to me that I don't know what we're standing in. I was paying very little attention as we rushed in through the front door. What kind of tower block are we on the 14th floor of? What's well, uh, it's Fitzgerald House? It's it's about twenty stories tall. It's 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 grey. It's concretey, but it's I mean it, it holds together all right. And the the rooms inside here are, are, are well proportioned, uh, which is something more than can be said for a lot of uh, a lot of new build flats. So it's got that as an edge, even if from the outside it does look a bit uh, a bit grey, a bit concretey, and uh, not what many people would uh, imagine as being uh, an exciting home of the future. Well, let's pass through uh, and never waste an opportunity to get a bird's eye view of town. We're going to go through to the other side of the building now into a a sitting room with the stuff that I can't possibly discuss for (laughs) reasons of confidentiality. Um, Which direction are we looking in now? So we are looking uh, east towards the uh, the Balfron Tower, out also towards bits of the new those new residential developments just on the north edge of the Isle of Dogs um, yeah we can see the Thames from here again yeah looking looking east um, we see the cable car and again lots of building work lots of cranes this is starting to look a lot like Coruscant <laughs> it is it is uh, towers going up everywhere but uh I, it's just a reflection of uh, London's popularity, and I think in the uh, the Londonist in the Londonist mantra, build more houses. Good to see them going up. Do you get the impression then? Because one of the things you notice when there's uh, big towers like that st- starting to loom up, your eye begins to be attracted by the shakier or more dilapidated looking buildings around them, and you start to get an idea that they might be the next ones to be replaced. What's your sense of the area here at the, the foot of this tower and the Crisp Street Market? Do you think this is in it for the long haul, or do you think uh, developers will be moving in here before long? There's already a lot of development going on around here, but um, Poplar Harker, the, uh, the Housing Association, you know, work really closely with them. They have their own a lot of the land around here. Uh, they have their objectives to provide sustainable, affordable housing. I know they've got big plans for what they're doing around the market. There's going to be some more regeneration work around there. It's, it's a constant process of, of change. There are things that are going to be here for ages. There's a, a lot of the buildings are listed for architectural importance. Um, they'll certainly stay. But yeah, some of the buildings probably do need uh, replacing. I'd like to think that the process of regeneration is one of keeping the best of what you've got and, um, and building on it and making better things for the future. Uh, well, we've got to come to a close, but I think we can't come to an end without a puzzle or two, a fact or two about the local area. I think I've got a puzzle for you. Yeah. I, th- I think. We'll see how you get on with it. Oh, I'm just going <laughs> to shame myself completely. But what can we say about uh, Poplar? Let's have some nuggets. Well, in addition to uh, all the, uh, the, the Lansbury things, 
there's a few other things I can tell you about Poplar. Obviously, the, the Balfron Tower is, uh, is a huge local landmark. And indeed, the architect himself, Erno Goldfinger, used to reside on the top floor there and uh, threw many a party for the great and the good to uh, show them what he was, uh, he was up to. I can also tell you that there are there's not one, there are but two pie and mash shops in the immediate vicinity of, of where we are. I've sampled both of them. Uh, and, <laughs> and the best one is... The best one is... <laughs> I'll let you decide for yourself. Uh, but uh, if you are in there, uh, do get your, your, your pie and mash with, uh, with liquor, parsley, parsley gravy. Uh, it's very, very important to have the, uh, the triumvirate of, uh, of pie, mash and liquor. I will also give a shout on a continued food theme. I will also give a shout out to the, uh, the Bite food market they have here last Friday of every month. It's very good. There's lots of very exciting traders out here on uh, East India Square. So yeah, do pop down and uh, grab a bite to eat if you're local. Okay, here we go. I'm going to see if I can out-puzzle you. Okay, go ahead. Crisp Street Market yeah. is the first what? Oh, it's the uh, first pedestrianised market in Europe, I believe. <sighs> Damn, you're good. <laughs> I, I, certainly in the UK, I don't know about Europe, but I think you win that one hands down. There's a lovely piece of information that, that does seem to be a well-kept secret. You can get a fantastic cup of coffee in the Ideas store here on Chris Street for 40p. It's, it's a bargain. Yeah, I mean, it really is. So anyway, I'll be living in the Ideas store from now on. Can we have, uh, can we have details of how people can come and be puzzled by you? <laughs> That sounds like a personal judgment, doesn't it? I don't mean it like that. So that you, listener, can come and enjoy the uh, fruits of Tom's labours. Fruits of my labours. Popper is, of course, a set for uh, Call the Midwife as well. So it's a a labours gag there somewhere. Yeah, uh, please do come on to adorinawall.com. There are a few, a very few tickets left for this current event. Probably literally about sort of 50 spaces left over the few dates we have uh, remaining. So that runs until 31st of May. What what does uh, it cost? So it costs uh, thirty pounds a person, or seventeen fifty if you're local. I.e., like you live in the immediate vicinity of the area, you've probably already. Like, like I will do next to the coffee machine at the ideas. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, uh, we will look to have another public event later in the year. If you want to get on our mailing list, we'll be the first person to know about that. And you can always find us on uh, Facebook, on Twitter as well, just at Adora in a Wall. Well, Tom Williams, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. My heart and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Tom Williams. Thanks too to Mark Barr and Bernie Barclay. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm Ann Quentin Wolf. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.